0: This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad he decided to listen in today. Hey, joining me in segments two and three of today's program will be Mr. Alistair McLeod. If you're a longtime listener to the program, you'll recognize Alistair as the head of research at Gold Money. So I'll be getting Alistair's take on where we are as far as the world economy is concerned how the expanding BRICS coalition uh, might affect the U.S. dollar in 2024 and get his forecast moving ahead. So, again, that's in segments two and three of today's program. If you've not yet requested my December client newsletter, it talks about this inevitable cycle that I've been writing about since my 2011 book titled Economic Consequences. That cycle, very simply stated, is inflation followed by deflation. Now, certainly we have seen inflation over the past three and a half years or so. As the Fed, the Federal Reserve, the Central Bank of the United States, has engaged in massive amounts of quantitative easing, we are now starting to see deflation emerge. Uh, The money supply contracted more than it has in 28 years recently, according to Mises. So the forecast uh, that I made back in 2011 is now playing out uh, before your eyes. So I talk about this in the December newsletter. Uh, You can get this client-only publication this month only by visiting requestyourreport.com. Just let me know where to mail the newsletter. And when you request the newsletter, I will also put you on a list to get you my new updated revenue sourcing book as soon as it becomes available. I've updated it for 2024. Should be coming off the presses here in the next couple of weeks, and I'll get you a copy of that as well. So, again, to get the December client-only newsletter, as well as the updated revenue sourcing book, when it's available, simply visit requestyourreport.com and let me know where to mail that information. So, as it relates to this forecast, I'd like to begin this segment by sharing with you a quote from Ernest Hemingway's, The Sun Also Rises. Here it is. Quote, how did you go bankrupt? Two ways. Gradually, then suddenly. End quote. Now, I believe this quote from Hemingway describes the path on which the collective private sector, as well as many of the world's governments, now find themselves. Now, at the time of the great financial crisis, a little more than a dozen years ago, now actually approaching about 15 years ago, Total worldwide debt in the private sector and in the public sector stood at about $100 trillion. Today, after massive levels of stimulus funded via currency creation to rescue the economy, to solve the problem, to let us grow our way out of the problem, we simply have more than tripled the size of the problem. Worldwide debt now stands at $335 trillion. That's a huge disparity. $100 trillion at the time of the Great Financial Crisis, $335 trillion today. Now, that figure can be described only as eye-popping. I don't know how else I would describe it. But that does not include derivatives, which will likely ultimately add to the debt total. Now, I've heard a lot of numbers as to what derivative exposure is. But if you want to use the more conservative numbers, you come up with a number somewhere around $1 quadrillion. And there's some estimates more than twice that level. So the bottom line is this. There is simply too much debt to be paid. My guest on today's program, Mr. Alistair McLeod, describes it as a debt trap. I call it heading for a debt crisis that is inevitable, and it may be looking a bit more imminent. So why do I bring this up on today's program? Well, the reason is simply this. If you aspire to a comfortable, stress-free retirement, your planning needs to be focused on this fact. You simply cannot use the same planning strategies that have been used for the past 40 years, in my view, and expect to succeed. The system is on the verge of breaking. That's what a debt crisis does. And when it does, the dreams of a comfortable retirement for many Americans will vanish. Now, that's why I'm making the updated revenue sourcing book available as well as the December client newsletter that talks about this inflation deflation cycle. Again, to get those free resources, simply visit requestyourreport.com. Now, my 2011 book, Economic Consequences, which I believe is still available on Amazon, provides my forecast that the Federal Reserve's then new policy. Actually, at the time, the Federal Reserve described this as a new temporary policy of quantitative easing. Well, what does that mean? Well, essentially, it's currency creation from thin air. I pointed out at the time that whenever currency creation had been tried historically, it's always introduced as something that's going to be temporary, it's going to be a stopgap solution, but it always ends up being a permanent policy that causes more problems than it claims or purports to solve. And I said in that book back in 2011, that's approaching 13 years ago, that the dreams of a comfortable, stress-free retirement would be impossible for many and a lot more difficult for most. Now, I'm not a seer. I don't have any special inside knowledge, but I study history. I'm a bit of an economic history buff. And through my study of history, I've discovered that once the currency creation door is opened, it doesn't close until the damage is done. To take it a step further, once this currency creation begins, the economic outcomes that emerge are quite predictable. After a period of inflation, sometimes rampant or hyperinflation, a deflationary bust occurs. Now, the reason for this cycle is pretty simple. And, the, and, the, and the, the, the core reason is that human behavior is predictable. And even more predictable is the collective behavior of groups of politicians. So currency creation is pursued only when debts and deficits are large enough that they can't be addressed through higher taxes and when spending cuts would thrust the economy into a deflationary collapse. Now, ironically, once the currency creation, which creates admittedly temporary prosperity, I call it a prosperity illusion, but once that prosperity illusion or that prosperity mirage evaporates, we then get back to reality, and that reality is worse than it was when the currency creation started. So commenting on this in my 2015 book, New Retirement Rules, on which our New Retirement Rules class is based, I warned that the Fed was inflating a bubble that would at some future point painfully burst as the deflationary reset occurred. Now, after the Fed created between five and six trillion dollars in new currency out of thin air, they have now started to tighten. They have increased interest rates. They have pulled money out of the economy. And we are now seeing the results. Now, the stock market still has not made it back to its prior high that occurred in December of 2021. I predict it won't get there. It might get back an equal that high, although I would be a bit skeptical about that, but I predict it will not make new highs. So eventually, deflation takes its toll on stocks, it takes its toll on real estate, it takes its toll on things that we own, assets that we own, while the things we have to buy like groceries never give back the price increases that we've all experienced. So the resources that I'm offering you this month, the December client newsletter that explains this inflation deflation uh, cycle, as well as a new updated version of the revenue sourcing book, that's all available to you for free with no obligation. Just go to requestyourreport.com. And as we enter 2024, get yourself some information, get a second opinion. I'll be glad to send you all that information absolutely free. Again, that is requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with my special guest, Mr. Alistair McLeod. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Alistair McLeod. Alistair, I think, is the hardest working researcher that I interview. I always enjoy my conversations with him. I get terrific feedback when he's on the program. Uh, Alistair is the head of research at Gold Money. You can learn more about his work and read his articles at goldmoney.com. I'd encourage you to do that. Alistair, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me, Dennis. Well, very much my pleasure. As I said, I get terrific feedback when you're on the program, and there's no shortage of things to talk about. So if I could, I'd like to start by chatting a little bit about the developments that we're going to see here coming up the first of the year uh, with the BRICS coalition. There's new countries being added, many of them oil-producing countries. How does this this affect long-term or even short-term? Uh, the U.S. dollar as an international reserve currency? Yeah, an interesting question. Um, I think actually the U.S. is already
1: fighting back to an extent uh, through Argentina, because Argentina, um, you, you 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 may remember, is due to join uh, BRICS, along with I think it's another five others, uh, on the 1st of January. Um, but uh, the new president... Um, uh you know is backing off China very very hard and um talking about uh getting rid of the central bank and adopting the dollar as the as the currency in effect um replacing the argentinian one so um but i I suspect there's a bit of um u s politics behind that he will get the support of the u s because I think they'll do anything to try and scupper this briCS expansion um and um I mean, on the other side of it, of course, Russia uh, is becoming president of BRICS. Um, It's its turn uh, again from January the 1st. So I think what you're likely to see, and I'm sure that the American administration expects this, you're likely to see um, an increased emphasis on um, uh, allowing countries to to join in and uh, de-dollarize. So... uh, uh, this, I think, is a major, major event. I mean, you, you know, the, 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 we're likely to see a small upset in the case of Argentina. Um, but again, uh, Argentina can be lent on by the Chinese because the Chinese bailed them out from an IMF loan. Um, oh, what, three months ago. Uh, so, so, um This is an interesting situation, if you like, um, that sort of side act with uh, Argentina. But generally, um, other than that uh, um, disruption, short term disruption, um, it looks like BRICS is going to continue to expand. uh, And um, the influence of the Asian hegemons, um, Russia and China, it uh, looks like um, continuing to spread, uh, and um, yes, uh, it means that the dollar will be used less. Um, I mean, the dollar is still going to be used a lot. I mean, let's let's not get this wrong. But I think the problem with it is that um, as more and more countries decide to accept, say, uh, Chinese yuan in, uh, for in, in payment for commodities and so on and so forth. Um, I suspect that that, that um, dollars will, if you like, dollar credit will start um, uh, coming back home. So um, this, I think, potentially, uh, particularly with other factors, which I'm sure we can discuss, uh, is likely to lead to the dollar entering a period of substantial weakness
0: uh, over the next few years. So Alistair, but before we get to some of those other... Uh, uh implications to use that word. Uh, you know, the BRICS countries have openly stated they're looking to develop a reserve currency or a trading currency, I should say, um, hmm. potentially backed by by gold. I think it was the Brazilian president that mentioned that in in August. Um, the Chinese central bank, according to some of the research I've been doing, the articles I've been reading, has really been accumulating gold. So so what is your take? Is there is there a gold-backed currencies somewhere on the horizon in the near future uh, yes i think there is um i i mean
1: unless things change from our side um i don't see this being an easy introduction because uh, india is dead against it um china doesn't want to disrupt the international trading scene unduly uh, her approach to um international affairs has always been to let other people make the mistake, and uh, she merely, if you like reacts to the mistakes she's not um, she 's not an aggressive intervener, if you like in international monetary affairs so um I think that she will continue to sit on the fence. Um I think that the reason that um she is accumulating gold is um partly because she's been doing this for an awful long time anyway. I think it might be just a little bit too much to say that she actually thinks that the dollar's gonna um, collapse immediately and you know, you've got to have gold or you're dead, sort of thing. Um I think a better indicator of that is probably the way Singapore has been acting. Singapore has been an aggressive buyer of gold, topping up her reserves. And um, I I think that um, that indicates, with her connections into um, uh, China, uh, the rest of Asia and all the rest of it, it indicates, I think, an evolving concern about the outlook for the dollar so i think that's the way i would look at it rather than let's say taking what um, you know chinese is china's relatively minor um uh, additions to her um, official gold reserves um i mean they're very small in the, in the in in the overall context um of uh, chinese gold already owned by the state which i believe is well in excess of 30,000 tons now i mean this is secret we're not talking about Just the um, uh, the official gold reserves. We're talking about gold held in other government accounts, like um, you know the the youth wing of the Communist Party, the army, and so on and so forth. Uh, So China is already a major major holder of gold, and I don't really think that she has the need to top up uh, her um, uh, central bank uh, gold reserves um, because she's already protected. But I think she's uh, quite interest is to take any any loose stock as it were off the market so so i think um you know no harm done in terms of her acquiring gold from her point of view but i don't see it as a major policy indication i think that the uh, singaporean accumulation of gold however does indicate there is a a growing concern in asian circles about the outlook for the dollar so that's what i would concentrate on
0: Terrific. Well, I'm chatting today with Mr. Alistair McLeod. He is the head of research at Gold Money. The website to check out his work is goldmoney.com. I do it frequently. I'd encourage you to do so as well. Alistair, you you wrote a piece that I found extremely interesting. I'm going to try to set up this question in such a way that I accurately convey what it is you talked about in your article. So you can correct me if I don't get it exactly right. But you commented on the uh, amount, the level of U.S. dollar holdings that are held internationally outside the United States. And in the event that there was uh, a a rush or a move to liquidate a lot of these assets, that would be a situation that would be very difficult if not impossible for the U.S. to handle or absorb. So if I stated that reasonably well, could you expand on that?
1: Uh, Yes, you have. But I can give you a bit more detail, um, which might help. Um, There are three elements of um, dollar holdings in foreign hands. Uh, The one which um, I think everybody who looks into these things is familiar with uh, are the U.S. Treasury tick figures, which between long-term investments, including uh, U.S. Treasuries, short-term invest- investments, including U.S. T-bills and, and, and the like, uh, and, um, and equities, and also on top of that, uh, bank deposits uh, in the U.S. banking system, all that amounts to about $33 trillion dollars. Uh, on top of that, you have got derivative markets, and the derivative market which we really need to be concerned with uh, is um, the foreign exchange derivatives. Now, there, according to the Bank of International Settlements, they reckoned, and we're going back to I think June last year, so these figures are a little out of date, but nevertheless, to give you a pretty good indication of the importance of it, according to them. Uh, Non-U.S. banks have liabilities, dollar liabilities, uh, through the foreign exchanges, amounting to an extra 85 trillion dollars. On top of that, you need to add um, the euro dollar market in the sense that not of, uh, of, of dollar deposits, but Uh, dollar bombs uh, held and financed outside the American financial system, and that's a further 10 trillion. So if you take all those together, you get over $125 trillion worth of dollars, if you like, in foreign hands. So um, if foreigners decide um, en masse that they don't like the dollar, I mean, the dollar has got a real problem. Um, so far, and this actually ties in with, I think, the point behind your question about BRICS, so far, of course, everybody has been happy to um, uh, export to America and hang on to the dollars uh, which they get paid um, for their exports to America. And that is the difference, if you like, between the trade deficit and the balance of payments. Um, We can see that's been diminishing a bit recently, um, evidenced, for example, with uh, China and Japan um, turning net sellers of US treasuries. Um, This situation is, um, I think, very, very dangerous for the dollar. Um, If, let us say, you've got over half the world, we're talking about BRICS, BRICS Plus, and all the rest of it, moving in the direction of reducing the use of the dollar and accepting other currencies for trade settlement, then given the, um, the overhang of dollars, both uh, in America and outside America, the American banking system in the hands of foreigners, this could lead to a very significant unwinding. Now, I don't expect this significant unwinding to necessarily occur just on these uh, grounds alone. But as the situation deteriorates, the financial situation deteriorates within America with the budget deficit, which I think in this current fiscal year is likely to be around about three trillion, half of which will be interest you can see that the inflationary implications on that, and by that I mean the effect on um, uh, domestic prices, um, I mean, it's likely to scare off foreigners from uh, retaining their holdings. So we've got a combination of things coming together rather like a perfect storm. Um, So that, I think, is the importance of understanding that it's not just 33 trillion recorded in the US Treasury figures, but also foreign exchange derivatives, by which I mean forwards and swaps, um, uh, 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 you know, forwards and swaps in in, in the foreign exchanges, where the dollar is on one side of the transaction. This is a major, major, major situation. Um, And I think it's one of these things which very, very few people really
0: understand. Well, I appreciate that explanation. Uh, My guest today is Mr. Alistair McLeod, the head of research at Gold Money. The website is goldmoney.com. I'll continue my conversation with Alistair when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You're listening to RLA Radio. I have the pleasure today of having a conversation with Mr. Alistair McLeod. He is the head of research at Gold Money. The website is goldmoney.com. And Alistair, we've had a lot of new listeners uh, added to our audience since you've been on the program. Uh, And I'm sure many of them at this point are wondering what it is that gold money does. Would you be so kind as to share what your purpose is?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, It it was founded, uh, I think, in 2002 by James Turk, which is a name which I'm sure many of your listeners will be familiar with, uh, because going all the way back to those days, James could see that uh, the trend uh of um uh the fiat currencies and the way in which they were be, being being expanded if you like by governments uh, would lead to uh, an increasing demand for ownership of physical gold and basically what gold money does is it provides a service whereby members of the public can um uh hold gold in fully uh, insured uh vaults around the world um uh regulated, if you like, by the London Bullion Market Association, so these are you know the proper insured proper vaults, all up to the standards you would expect, and uh gold, silver, platinum group group metals can be bought through gold money and held in on a custodial basis. In other words, it's not on gold money's uh, balance sheet at all. The ownership of the gold is very, very definitely the individuals who have bought gold, silver, platinum group metals through gold money and uh, had them stored in vaults of their choice. So that's basically what we do. And um, uh, my mission in this really is to um, educate the wider public about Uh, the situation which is likely to lead to, um, well, the way you would look at it is the gold price rising significantly, but the correct way to look at it is actually it's not the gold price rising, but it's the value of credit, whether that credit be dollars, euros, yen, sterling, whatever. It's the value of that credit becoming detached from gold, which is legally real money, uh, and effectively entering into a death spiral. Um, We are seeing the conditions beginning uh, whereby that's likely to happen. And um, uh, the importance of um, understanding the global credit situation and uh, the dollar's role in it has now become central to the argument as to why people should consider holding gold. And that's uh, the facility that we, we provide
0: people. Well, thank you for that, Alistair. And, you know, when you look at what the performance has been of gold since the end of October, uh, gold has made now new all-time highs. Um, we now are experiencing a bit of a pullback here over the past couple of weeks, as one might expect, after a, I think it was almost a 15% rise. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, do you think this is the beginning of uh, that, that devaluation that will be reflected in much higher gold prices from this point on? Uh
1: the indications are that that is 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 actually what's happening. Yes, um, I mean from a from a, a chartist or a technical analysis point of view, uh, the gold price, um, uh, if you like, it, it managed to uh, breach that uh, two thousand level fairly significantly. It's come back to try and find support. It's finding support, I believe, around about the moving averages which are rising underneath it. In good old. Um, you know, Dow theory um, uh, uh, basis. Um, And I think at the moment, the 200-day moving average is looking round about uh, 1950, um, where uh, as this is being recorded, it's ahead of the um, FOMC announcement on interest rates. It could be that that's maybe a little bit bearish, um, and uh, that would drive down gold to that sort of 1950 level. And I would expect it to find some sort of stability there before or really breaking through that 2000 level um, uh, convincingly. So that's the technical aspect. But the important thing always to understand, Dennis, is it's not gold rising. It's the dollar falling. Um, and when you look at it that way, you begin to appreciate that um, the, the, the gold dollar relationship, um, you know, the idea that it might run to, say, 2200 or um 2,300 or 2,500, and so on and so forth, might seem outlandish. But when you turn the equation upside down, and you think what's going to happen to the dollar, Um, you know, with the prospects for uh, inflation, with the prospects for interest rates, and all the rest of it, um, with the prospects of a potential failure of the banking system, I mean, you've got malinvestments throughout the economy, you've got government spending completely out of control. I mean, You know, you sort of think, well, if it's not impossible that the value of the dollar, particularly if the foreigner starts selling it hand over fist, could fall very, very materially. Now, under those circumstances, a gold dollar relationship of, uh, say, 2,300, 2,500 seems eminently possible. So that's why I think it's terribly important to look at this, uh, you know, from the right way round. It's not the value of legal money, which is physical gold rising. I mean, over the centuries, it's been more or less constant. I mean, there is some fluctuation, obviously. Uh, but uh, we're talking about the, the, if you like, running towards the end game for fiat currencies And I think that's the very, very important point. And of course, as soon as people realize that this is the end game for fiat
0: currencies, then this situation could accelerate very, very quickly. Alistair, along those lines, and I appreciate that explanation, but but, but along the lines of things accelerating uh, very quickly, I think in the first segment, you used the words perfect storm to describe the uh, environment or the climate that exists uh, around this particular situation. And looking at the U.S., you know, next year being an election year, I certainly think your, uh, your your estimation that the deficit could reach three trillion, I think, is is very realistic, and that doesn't even account for all the U.S. government debt that now has to be refinanced at much higher interest rates. Not to mention the fact that the economic data is not looking all that strong. And and um, I'd like your opinion. Do you think that will force the Fed back into quantitative easing, into into easy money, and then uh, Secondly, do you think that that could be the, 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 the beginning of this really slippery slope and that 2024 could be the year that we really see dollar devaluation accelerate in earnest?
1: Well, the Fed is in an extremely difficult position. Um, And uh, I think the movers and shakers in the Fed really do understand this. Um, You know, there's lots and lots of talk. that They're trying to talk the dollar up in the sense that, um, uh, you know, have have faith in its purchasing power, if you like, uh, which, um, you know, more conventionally, we talk about um, being inflation. They want this inflation problem to go away. And then at least they can begin to ease off on interest rates and this is the general expectation i think throughout the um uh, if you like the, the the investment management establishment the banking establishment and so on and so forth but um uh, w- when it comes to a perfect storm um our starting point in dealing with what o- is obviously a recession and forget the numbers the numbers are um you know they they don't actually tell you the story like you know what's GDP going to grow next year and all this sort of stuff. Forget that. That's, that is um, uh, very, very misleading. But if you go and talk to anyone in industry around America, um, you know, the small and medium-sized businesses, um, you will find that um, conditions are very tough. And, um, you know, there's very, very little uh, optimism uh, uh, anywhere uh, and, um, you know, very much the larger corporations, um, you know, they were borrowing like crazy because money was so cheap two or three years ago. Um, cheap in the sense that interest rates were, were zero or, um, you know, by the time by the time the market took its, say, one or two percent cut. I mean, what was not to like about borrowing huge amounts of money, leveraging up your earnings and all the rest of it? And of course, now that interest rates have risen. Not only is that game over, but my God, the legacy of it. Well, we saw this with Silicon Bank. I mean, it actually took out a regional bank. bank or two. Um, and the problems are still there. And of course, the banks um aren't going to come to the rescue of um businesses uh which they now see as potentially um non-performing loans. So what are they doing? Um they're um, de-risking their balance sheets. They can't actually contract their balance sheets because you can't destroy deposits. What you can do is maybe um, destroy loans by not renewing them. And uh, what they're tending to do is they're tending to redeploy their balance sheets away from uh, the risk, the risky private sector economy towards government and, uh, uh, we see, for example, um, the money market f- funds uh, have been switching from the reverse repos, which uh, rose to roughly two and a half trillion, I, s- I think, about a year ago. Um, that's now fallen to something like 680 billion. I don't know, the, you know, figures are something like that. What they've done is they've just taken the money out of the reverse repo market and they've pushed it into um, into, into the U.S. Treasury bill market. So, uh, the U.S. government is having to pay five and a quarter percent, 5.4 percent for six month money up to one year money. And, um uh, you know, has it got um, the resources to do this? Well, no, because if you look at the interest bill um uh, uh, in the last fiscal year to September, it was uh, nine hundred and eighty billion. That's very nearly a trillion dollars. And it was um, very nearly half. Uh, the total deficit for that year. So we've got a debt trap here, Dennis, and um, this is getting a lot worse. What are the obligations that the government have? Well, the the obligations are they must rescue the banking system. You cannot afford to have any banks go bust. I mean, other than the minor ones, maybe, but even then you have to arrange for their rescue. On top of that, you have got all the malinvestments investments in, um, you know, otherwise stable businesses, which are now loss making because of the rise in interest costs. How are they going to deal with that? All this stuff has got to be rescued in an election year, as you quite rightly pointed out, when uh, votes have got to be bought. Uh, they're not going to be bought if, <laughs> if, if, if uh, a government stands aside and just lets the whole thing fall apart. no. The commitment from the government is that they're going to have to effectively print money to rescue the whole system. And that is the problem the Fed has. They're sitting there rather like rabbits in the headlight of an oncoming car (laughs) thinking, oh, my goodness, how on earth do we deal with this? I have great sympathy for their predicament. I don't have
0: sympathy with the policies that put them there, but I certainly sympathize with their predicament. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. My guest today has been Mr. Alistair McLeod. He is the head of research at Gold Money. Please check out his articles at goldmoney.com. I do uh, whenever they pop up. And uh, Alistair, always appreciates your time. I know the listeners do as well. Thank you for joining us and uh, happy holidays and happy new year to you and your family.
1: That's very much uh, my pleasure, Dennis. And um, I'd like to wish all your listeners um uh, you know, happy Christmas. Nowadays, you don't talk about Christmas, do you? Because of all the, all the different religions and all the rest of it. I just say happy, happy Christmas to everyone. <laughs>
0: happy, and it's perfectly acceptable on this program, Alistair. So thank you for saying it. And thank you for joining us. My pleasure. We will return after these words. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. Thanks again to Mr. Alistair McLeod for joining us on today's program. This month, I'm giving all the listeners an opportunity to get absolutely free my client publication, the You May Not Know report. It's my client-only newsletter. And the December newsletter talks about the predictable cycle of inflation followed by deflation. It also gives you some strategies to consider for your own situation. If you'd like to get a copy of that newsletter absolutely free and with no obligation, simply visit the website, requestyourreport.com. Let me know where to mail the newsletter as well as some other bonus information, and I'll be very glad to do that. And when you go to that website, I will also send you a copy of my updated revenue sourcing book, Uh, That Revenue Sourcing Book has been updated for 2024, so when you request the December client-only newsletter, I'll also send you a copy of the Revenue Sourcing Book once it becomes available. Again, the website, requestyourreport.com. Now, I talked in the first segment of today's program that the reason currency creation takes place is because debt and deficits are large enough that they simply can't be addressed via higher taxes and spending cuts would thrust the economy into a deflationary collapse. Now, ironically, once the currency creation stops, usually because after it creates this prosperity illusion, it creates some big financial problems and economic problems of its own. Once it stops, the deflationary collapse occurs anyway. Now in my 2015 book as I mentioned in the first segment I pointed out that in my view the Federal Reserve the central bank of the United States was inflating a bubble that would some at some future point burst as the deflationary reset occurred. Now when I wrote the first edition of the revenue sourcing book back in 2020 I pointed out that the Federal Reserve was attempting to paper over this debt bubble with currency creation. You see, when you paper over or create currency to try to offset this deflation that occurs because of too much debt, the debt doesn't go away. Economists would say that debt is a structural problem and adding liquidity or cash to the system does not solve the structural problem. It doesn't make the debt go away. In fact, it increases the debt and it makes the eventual problem worse. Now, by the end of 2020, going into 2021, the currency creation that we saw was simply off the charts. Beginning in March of 2020 and continuing until the Fed reversed course and started to tighten, the Fed created more than $5 trillion in new currency out of thin air. Now, of course, The Federal Reserve doesn't call this process currency creation, even though that's what it is. They use a more academic term. They call it quantitative easing, but it means the same thing. Now, no matter what you call it, the result or the ultimate outcome of all this currency creation is predictable. At first, it seems the policy is working. We have an old-fashioned, rip-roaring bull market in stocks. We see real estate values rocket higher. But this temporary prosperity is only an illusion. Eventually, bubbles in stocks burst, bubbles in real estate unwind, and all the while, there is noticeable inflation in the price of consumer goods. Now, we have seen stocks reach their high in December of 2021, as I pointed out in the first segment. We are not yet back to those levels. In my view, it's unlikely that we will get there. Real estate is slowing. You see, inventories are up in just about every part of the country. And certainly, you're paying a lot more for groceries now than you did three and a half years ago. So I believe we are just getting started in this. Inevitable end game of this inflation deflation cycle. Now, if you go back to 2008, at the time of the great financial crisis, the deflationary collapse was on us. It was here. But rather than let the economy and the investing markets go through the necessary reset in the form of a deflationary collapse because there was too much debt, the Fed under the direction of Ben Bernanke, began this temporary program of quantitative easing. So what happened? Well, it just added more air to the bubble. It added more debt to a debt-laden system that already had too much debt. This, This bubble was already poised to burst. So what did they do? They put more air in the bubble through quantitative easing. Now, I believe we are seeing signs that this bubble may be about ready to burst once again. And I believe the Fed in response will likely result to more quantitative easing or more currency creation to stave off the collapse. But in my view, the collapse will eventually come. Now, how can I be so sure about that? How can I sound so confident? Well, the answer is pretty simple. If there's too much debt to be paid, it won't be paid. As you'll discover in the updated revenue sourcing book, if you go to requestyourreport.com and request a newsletter, I'll put you on a list to get the updated revenue sourcing book as soon as it becomes available. But debt is currency and currency is debt. 95% of today's currency is debt. When debt goes unpaid, we get deflation. And as I pointed out on last week's program, the currency supply is already starting to contract. We're seeing the beginning of this this particular deflationary cycle. So we will eventually experience a deflationary collapse. That will be bad for real estate. That will be bad for stocks. And if the Fed responds... By creating more currency, by by using more easy money strategies, we'll likely continue to see more inflation in the things we have to buy. So for that reason, again, I would encourage you to educate yourself. I'd encourage you to get more resources. I'm making some available to you today absolutely free. Visit the website, requestyourreport.com, and I'll send you a copy of the December Client Only Newsletter, the You May Not Know Report where it talks about the inflation-deflation cycle. You'll also get a copy of the updated revenue sourcing book when it becomes available. Again, the website, requestyourreport.com. That's all the time I have for this week's program. Tune in again next week. I'll be back live with special guest, Dr. Robert McHugh.